0: Our sermons or our homilies this week are going to be from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19, taken in three sections. They're page 298 in the Bible that's in the chairs if you're using that Bible. And if you are using that Bible and you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that Bible home um, to have as your own. You're going to want to probably keep your thumb in that page, whether you're using your phone or your Bible, because we're going to be back to reading that multiple times throughout the service. I'm going to read Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, sometimes we mix up the format a little bit, and uh, I think we did it something like this back in March. Uh, but today we're looking at Proverbs. We're continuing our series, uh, everyday wisdom. And as I was studying this proverb, uh, this this passage, Proverbs six uh, verses one through nineteen, I realized that it felt a bit disjointed, uh, which is really similar to the overall book. Of Proverbs, chapters one through nine seem to fit together pretty well, and thirty through thirty-one. But then there's chapters ten through twenty-nine that that are like all over the place. <laughs> so this is a little bit of a taste of what we're going to be doing uh, in the near future when we get to chapters ten through twenty-nine. I'm going to arrange those a little bit more thematically, uh, but uh, it's kind of a, an idea of that. Now, last week we looked at Proverbs. Five, six, and seven. Uh, we looked at the theme of adultery, uh, and here we encounter in the first half of chapter six, we encounter loans, laziness, and what God hates. <laughs> uh, and when you encounter these, it, it can feel a little bit out of uh, out of place. Uh, maybe you've seen one of those kids' toys where you have to like shape. You have to you have to fit the the square shape through the. T- The triangle hole or the circle hole, that's not how it works, right? You're supposed to fit the square through the square and the triangle through the the triangle. Well, instead of trying to fit a square through a triangle, I figured, why don't we just take each block one at a time uh, and go a little bit slower and admire the the triangle block, admire the square uh, block, and just try to enjoy them. Uh, And so that's what we're doing today. Now, just because they feel a little disjointed does not mean that the author Solomon, uh, one of the most famous kings of Israel, made a mistake. Uh, He didn't make a mistake. He didn't put them in the wrong place. Uh, There is a kind of uh, connecting thread through these and into the other theme of adultery. Now, uh, Bernie and I are both writing sermons on the book of Proverbs at the same time. He's writing them for Worcester. I'm writing them for here at Cornerstone. And we're both, both listening to a professor named Dr. Bruce Waltke, Uh, And he, uh, this is biblicaltraining.org. If you want to check it out, anyone can sign up. It's free. Uh, And one of the things that he did was he helped translate the the NIV. So think of the NIV, like we, those are the Bibles that we're giving away. He helped translate that um, back in the '80s, uh, and he was on the committees uh, that translated the Book of Proverbs. So clearly, this guy knows his stuff, and he's been teaching it for like 30 uh, years. Uh, And he thinks this is his opinion. He thinks that just like adultery can lead to financial loss, uh, the, the, the same thread goes through this, that loans and laziness can also lead to financial loss. And I think that also just like uh, adultery can lead to spiritual loss, Uh, we see some things in this passage that can also result in spiritual loss as well, especially when we get to the issue of God's heart. And so I do think there is a connecting theme, even though perhaps in our modern, like, Western Western mindset, it's a little hard uh, to to pick out. But I think uh, it it does work uh, by way of association. Now, before we go any further, let me just pray. I'm going to pray for all three of these little homilies. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Help us to understand what you have to say today in all three sections of Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. Uh, as we look at our first topic of loans, Father, would you uh, uh, open our minds to it? Uh, it seems like there is something about them that can... Um, produced bondage and captivity, and we know that you are a God of freedom. So would you set our hearts and minds free uh, so that whatever history that we have with things like debt, uh, that we could just focus on your word and hear from you about uh, this topic. Uh, we love you. Uh, would you grant us a greater love for you? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our first three verses talk about obligation and risk, and they warn us, uh, uh, the first five verses, they warn us not to enable someone else's debt. So this is like a very specific thing that it's talking about, so I'm going to focus on this very specific thing. Loans themselves are a huge topic that I realized I could have spent a whole sermon or two sermons or three sermons on from the Bible, but we're going to kind of focus on this, this one aspect of helping guarantee someone else's debt, So verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read them again. Uh, My son, the father speaking to his son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped. You have been trapped by what you said ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. So the argument is pretty simple, right? If you have backed uh, or guaranteed someone else's debt, perhaps a friend, a neighbor, a stranger, a family member, get out. <laughs> like that's the kind of the message. Get out of that. As soon as you can, get out. So backing a loan, maybe we don't all know what that means, but backing a loan means uh, making a pledge that if they don't repay their debt, that you're on the hook for it. That you, uh, that you will make the payments or, or your property or your house or home or car or whatever, your asset will then uh, be liable and that you might have to lose those things. Uh, and and we do this in our culture, right? We have a we have a, a culture that's built a lot on debt, and so sometimes we help each other take out loans or or co-sign on different things because well, then it enables someone else to either get the home or the car or whatever that they are looking for. And and as our as we approach proverbs, we see like God kind of uh, revealing His will, will about this. Uh, there are other ways too, like business opportunities. Right? Sometimes we uh, will put our, our own assets on the line for someone else's business, perhaps because we're going to make a little bit of a profit off of it. It's like a, an investment. If I invest my, kind of my home or my property, then I'll get a little bit of cut, even though they have to go into debt. Now, uh, Proverbs is pretty uh, kind of graphic in its language here. It says, by doing that, you've caught yourself in a trap. <laughs> You're like an animal. It's foot. It's caught in a trap, and it's anxious, and it's doing anything it can to get out of that trap. Solomon is saying, do the same thing. Get out of the trap. Get out of enabling someone else's debt. Get out of backing it because you're on the line. And so, outside of the obvious way of perhaps you losing a whole bunch of money, what are some of the reasons that we should think about getting out of uh, kind of guaranteeing someone else's debt? Well, number one is that your reputation is on the line. Notice the second half of verse one. It says, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger. So they shook hands for pretty much the same reason that we shake hands, right? To make a deal, to cut a deal, to to make an agreement based on mutual understanding, uh, I've sold a few things on uh, like Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, and I find that people always want to like, shake your hand, either beforehand when they meet you or afterwards when kind of the deal is cut because there's like this, this mutual wanting to trust each other. I've had good experiences. I, I know there's some people that are nervous about uh, online selling, but I've had good experiences in that way. Now, how about co-signing someone's loan? Uh, That might feel just like an act of paperwork, but really it is a handshake. It's putting your name, your reputation on the line. And if that person doesn't pay, well, then your reputation, your name are kind of on the outs. Dr. Waltke, uh, who I was listening to, one of his lectures, he told the story of co-signing a loan for a young woman. I wasn't sure exactly the relationship, uh, but she wanted to purchase a car, and he signed for her, Right and she apparently did not know that once you purchase a car, you have to make car payments. (laughs) And so it did not go well. (laughs) And he said his credit score was ruined. Uh, And so uh, it had an impact on his financial reputation. I wanna add that remember Proverbs are principles and that there is perhaps a greater principle here at play in Proverbs than just uh, financial money management. I think there's a way of looking at this that has nothing to do with loans, that if you are putting your name or your reputation on the line for anyone, do so hesitantly, do so thoughtfully and carefully, like if you're vouching for someone and uh, a job, or you're supplying a reference for someone. We live in a culture where it's almost like if someone asks you for a reference, you have to give a reference. You don't have to give a reference you're putting your name and your reputation on the line. I remember even actually, you guys are teenagers here, a lot of teenagers, uh, when I was a teenager, this is a tangent, I just, this, I just remembered this. Uh, when I was a teenager, I helped a friend get a job at the place where I worked. And then two summers later, she got fired. How do you think I felt about that? Not good. And so this, this really matters, it doesn't matter if you're older or younger, We want to be careful about our reputations and and kind of who we vouch for and what we say for. Why else? Well, uh, number two, God repeats himself. Proverbs is the word of God. Proverbs is the word of God. And sometimes we look at parts of the Bible, perhaps like the gospel accounts, and we think that's really God's word. And then we get to places like Proverbs where it's talking about fools and weird things. And we think, well, yeah, it's God's word, but you know. Well, no, <laughs> I don't know. They're all God's word. It's all God's word. And so we wanna, we wanna take all of it seriously. And God uh, seems to be pretty serious about this rule. In fact, he repeats himself through the human authors, right? God's word is inspired. That means the Holy Spirit was working through Solomon and the other authors to write this. God repeats himself five more times uh, about this. One of them is Proverbs 22, 26, or 27. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge. Or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. So the reason here, God is serious. He repeats himself. But he said, if you can't afford to lose your home or your bed or or whatever it is that you're putting up, your your money, then you shouldn't uh, be be willing to put that on the line for someone else. Uh, And especially as we think about money and relationships, whether it's with neighbors or family or friends or coworkers or business opportunities, it just seems like money has a way of destroying relationships, right? When things go poorly uh, and if someone can't pay, uh, you could lose that relationship uh, with a friend and we don't want that, right? We want to love others. We want to love those around us and we don't want money to become a stumbling block. And so God repeats himself. Number three, Proverbs are weighty principles. Now, I think it's good to point out that Proverbs are principles. They, I, don't, I hesitate to say this, but I don't think they're absolutes. They are, they are principles. That means that although this is the standard, I think, especially as we think about ourselves, and I'm sure some of us have co-signed and helped people get loans, I think that you can make a case for offering collateral, For someone else's loans uh, in specific circumstances, Uh, after much prayer, much discernment. Uh, One author I read said that the only reason you would back a stranger's loan, right, because it's kind of weird, why would you back a stranger's loan, is if you were trying to make money off them, like if you were kind of gambling, if you were uh, doing an investment, and so uh, Proverbs then is specifically prohibiting, like, greedy investment based on debt, uh, and uh, there's all sorts of things that we could keep going as we unpack that, but we're not going to tonight. Uh, and I think you can also say that, well, it does talk about neighbors, and it does talk about strangers. It doesn't specifically address family members, and so perhaps there is a space in there as we consider those that are part of our family that, uh, that we can kind of help them. Um, but at the same time, say all those things, we also don't want to ignore Proverbs, right? I think sometimes we have a tendency that if, 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 if what we want to do doesn't line up with what God says to do, we just blow right past it. <laughs> we don't want to do that with the book of Proverbs. And so if you've already helped enable someone else's debt, maybe pray about it. That can be your application for this week. Just pray over it. God, should I continue to do that? Should we continue to do that? Or should we try, like Proverbs, to go and get out of the snare? Uh, I don't think co-signing is necessarily like a sin. I don't, I don't think Proverbs is going to that extent here. But I do think it's saying co-signing is a matter of wisdom. And we need to pray about it and think about it and, and proceed with caution. So I hope no one walks out of here feeling condemned, but I hope we all walk out of here feeling challenged or like when these opportunities arise that we'll come back to this passage and we'll really wrestle with it. Number four, and I think this, this is uh, an encouragement. This is my, my last little one. God provides other ways that we can help those in need, right? The whole idea, the whole reason we usually uh, get into these things, unless it's perhaps an investment, is to help someone, right? We want to help someone. We want to help someone get a home, get a car, uh, maybe start a business. Well, within Israel, so like right, within the covenant community, the people of God, Uh, the people were allowed to give interest-free loans. They could give interest-free loans to each other. You could only charge loans, uh, charge interest on loans to foreigners, to those outside the covenant community, so not to each other. So I think there's a principle there as we think about ourselves as a church community, as we think about our our families and those we love, that perhaps we can give a loan an interest-free loan. In the New Testament, Jesus actually says to lend to anyone who wants to borrow from you, even your enemies. Hmm. But then again, you should only loan your money if you can afford to lose your money. (laughs) Another option God provides is to simply give your money. to Simply give your money as a gift to those in need. So God does provide other ways to, to care for those in need. So this is just like a a dip in the bucket. There is a a lot of things the Bible has to say about loans and lending and borrowing and debt. But it's all centered around loving our neighbors well. We don't want to enable a burden on someone else. And that's what Christianity is about, loving God and loving others. And as we think about this, we don't want to do things that prevent us from loving others the way God intends. God intends for us to love others freely and wholeheartedly, just like God loves you and me. Let's continue in worship.
0: Continue in Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the end. You slugger, consider its ways, its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you slugger? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding hand, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. The word of the Lord.
1: So Proverbs isn't always a cheery book, uh, but we're going to continue by talking about laziness or uh, kind of a work ethic. Now, This is kind of the continuation of the same theme, right, of things that can lead to financial ruin, adultery, uh, uh, debt, and now uh, laziness. Uh, It can certainly lead to financial ruin. Now, one of the things Solomon likes to do as he writes and crafts uh, some of the wisdom that we encounter in the book of Proverbs is he likes to look at nature. He likes to look out into the world, and maybe we've all done this, where you look out and you notice things that teach you a little lesson, that teach you about how things uh, work. And he looks uh, at a uh, an ant, and he says, you know, be like the hard-working ant. He tells this to the sluggard, someone who is lazy like a slug. Now, uh, To be fair, I don't know if uh, slugs are lazy, uh, but right, they're slow, uh, they're slimy, uh, things that I would perhaps associate with laziness, Um, but uh, ants are kind of where it's at in Solomon's world. Um, I actually think ants can be a little bit of a nuisance, right? Like you don't want ants in your house. We had an ant problem earlier this spring and we had to have uh, a guy come in and spray not once, but twice, to kind of take care of the ants that were uh, running around our house. But actually, ants are pretty amazing creatures. God made ants, and they, they can teach us something about God and his character. And uh, I wanted to share some interesting facts from National Geographic. Like psalm Solomon says, consider the ants. So that's what we're going to do. We're, con- we're going to consider uh, the ants. Uh, there are over 12,000 ant species worldwide, a lot of ants. One commentary I read uh, said that the type of ant that Solomon was probably talking about was the harvester ant, a little bit bigger. I didn't really bring like a, like a big up-close and personal picture of an ant just because they, they freak me out a little bit, uh, uh, but apparently these were <laughs> common in, uh, in pal- Palestine and ancient Israel. Number two, ants are the longest living insects. Uh, Apparently, the queen ant of one particular type of ant, one one particular species, can live up to 30 years. That's pretty incredible. I know, right? Uh, That's incredible. So, like, hard work never killed anyone, right? Uh, Number three, uh, ants hold the record for the fastest movement in the animal kingdom. You were like, I thought that was cheetahs. Well, actually, there's this thing called the trap jaw ant. The trap-jaw ant. We are just talking about traps. Maybe that's the continuation of the theme here. Uh, and its jaw can shut at 140 miles an hour. That's how quickly its jaw shuts. That's pretty incredible. Uh, so apparently they're not lazy, at least when it comes to eating. And number four, uh, the ant is one of the world's strongest creatures in relation to its size. I bet some of you probably uh, knew this fact. Uh, But uh, there's a report, they report, uh, that a single ant can carry up to 50 times its own body weight. Uh, And they'll even work together to move bigger objects as a group. That's pretty incredible. I don't want to really think about what's 50 times my body weight and try to imagine picking that up. Uh, There was a a science uh, photography contest. This is an actual ant here. Uh, And one scientist took a picture of an ant holding a weight 100 times its own body weight. And the ant is hanging upside down from glass. Uh, That's pretty incredible, right? God's creation is amazing. Uh, And so they are incredibly hard workers. Uh, The BBC reports that on average, a single worker ant would take 250 naps each day, with each one lasting just over a minute. That equates to four hours and 48 minutes of sleep each day. That also means that 80% of the workforce was awake and active at any one time. So ants can work 18, 19 hours a day. They are incredibly hard workers. Now, I don't think Solomon subscribed to National Geographic. uh, So he probably didn't have a list of these facts. But he could just use his eyes and he could look around and, and see the ants scurrying around his temple. And instead of calling pest control, he could praise God and say, Wow, look at these ants. They're, they're hard at work. They're picking up crumbs. They're picking up food. They're picking up leaves. They're taking them. They're providing uh, for their ant colonies. Uh, and so I think Solomon's uh, message, his little lesson, is pretty, pretty simple. If you're a slug, be an ant. <laughs> if you're a slug... Be an ant, I like that uh, don't sleep your life away. you know you see we look down at these verses he says, consider the ant, see how it stores up uh, its provision in summer and gathers food at harvest. Um, maybe you've heard of um, one of aesop 's fables i didn 't think I was going to mention this, but I am uh, the, the grasshopper and the ant right have you heard of that and where the 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 ants encounter this grasshopper. That it's near wintertime, and the grasshopper's looking sad and forlorn. And they're like, "What's up? Like, don't you have food for winter?" And the grasshopper says, "No, I was playing my my violin during the summer. Uh, can you give me some of your food?" And of course, the ants are like, "No, <laughs> we're gonna we 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 worked hard during the summer." And so it's kind of a lesson uh, that. Uh, even our culture, right? Even, uh, even old kind of lessons, old little wisdom parables. Notice the hardworking nature of the ant. Solomon says, look at the ant. Be diligent, right? So there's also this, there's this prohibition. Don't be like the ant. There's also a, a call, a positive call. Uh, a, a don't be like the slug. Do be like the ant be diligent, don't waste your life, work hard. In our culture, we're so busy all the time, right? It's, it's almost hard to imagine being lazy, but there are ways to kind of uh, entertain our life away. You can, of course, do this with uh, like the obvious things like Netflix or YouTube or social media. You can spend hours on that. And sometimes that can be a fun thing to do, to like check in on people, or you can enjoy a good uh, TV uh, show or movie, but it can also lead to just, this is what I do every night, and pretty soon I'm, I'm wasting my life away, spending hours and hours doing that. Uh, and so we don't want to do that. We want to work hard, um, and in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually talks about the importance of work several times. First Thessalonians 4.11 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. And apparently, the Thessalonians had some struggles with their work ethic because in 2 Thessalonians, Paul expands on this topic even more. I guess they didn't get it the first time around. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, they are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. I think there's a real interesting line there. Never tire of doing what is good. There's a connection between goodness and work. That work is good. And so when we refuse to work and we say, no, I, I, I don't want to do that, then we're actually refusing to do good. And We want to do good. And like that, as we go about our jobs, as we go about uh, whatever God has called us to, and this doesn't mean that everyone's going to have a pain job, right? Like your kind of work uh, may be completely different than this person's kind of work, but doing what God has called you uh, to do can be a good thing. Using your talents and your gifts and your abilities to glory uh, and honor God. Now, this is not saying that it's never appropriate to take a break that we have to be working all the time. So we call that workaholics. God gave us a day of Sabbath rest before the fall. In Genesis, the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, God set aside the seventh day for a day of rest. He gave us six days to work and a day to rest. And this is before sin entered into the world. This means that rest is good and work is good. Both are good. And we have time for each. We have six days for work. We have a day of rest, according to the biblical pattern. Now, Proverbs is also not warning us. Uh, it, well, although our Proverbs is warning us that if you're lazy, you may become poor. But it is not saying, if you're poor, you are lazy. I think that's a really important distinction. Sometimes we can say, well, if you're poor, it must be your fault you're lazy, Some of the hardest working people I know are poor. And I'm sure you know them as well in your own life. Proverbs is not saying that, so you can't come to this passage to say that. And remember, Christ Jesus himself, he worked incredibly hard. He did the toughest work of all, paying for our sins on the cross. He was incredibly poor. He was homeless. He embraced poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich in the love of God. Rich in the grace of Christ Jesus. And Jesus did do that hardest work of all. By his labors on the cross, we are healed. We are healed of our sin. And, and like Christ pays the penalty for all of our sins, including our laziness. <laughs> Because none of us, no matter how hardworking we are, have done this right, have done this completely well. What does Christ do? He gives us his perfect work record. And he pays the penalty for our sins, for our laziness, our spiritual and our physical laziness. And so the call here is just a reminder we do want to work hard. We want to be diligent. But we do it all as we, uh, as we confess our sins and we place our trust in Christ Jesus, understanding that no matter how much we work or how good we do, we can never win our own salvation. Uh, Christ has won that for us. And the great thing is, is that by God's grace, he likes to change us, right? He likes to change us from the inside out to someone who wants to work, who wants to do good, who wants to glorify God. By his grace, Christ can change slugs into ants. <laughs> That's what Christ is interested in, transformation. He'll change a slug into an ant. Let's continue in worship.
0: Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth who winks maliciously at his eye with his eye, signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him: haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to run into e- rush into evil a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community.
1: All right. We've kind of come to uh, the end, the last of our little homilies tonight. Uh, And I think our passage, although these last couple verses seem uh, pretty intense, I think they teach us something about God's heart. I think they reveal a little bit about God's heart. Maybe you've uh, heard someone say, like, I hate that. You ever heard someone say, I hate that? Like, I hate cats. I hate cats. Well, what does that usually imply? I love dogs, right? I hate cats. Uh, Bernie like shook his hand. I think I heard you talking just now, like rebuking me. Uh, uh, I hate cats. I love dogs, right? So there's something, uh, or you love something else. You love a clean house or, or whatever it is. Right? And so uh, there's this implication that when we say we don't like something, it implies that there is something else that we love. And so here I think we catch a glimpse of what God hates, but also of what he loves. I think uh, we, we want to uh, take a look. It's, it's hard, but let's take a look at what God hates. God hates troublemakers. God hates troublemakers. Uh, he hates uh, people who go around and lie and cause problems. Our proverb calls them troublemakers and villains. I don't use the word villain to describe people very often outside of like fiction. The Bible calls them villains. Well, today, what might we call them? We might call them liars or busybodies or gossips or con artists or bullies or just troublemakers. Something is in this kind of person's heart that they just can't help but complain and turn people against each other. God's pretty serious about this. He, he says that judgment is going to come upon them in an instant and they will be destroyed. And yet, as we look at the, the greater call of Scripture, there's a call that if we repent, right, He'll have mercy on us. He doesn't have to destroy the troublemakers. But if God hates troublemakers, what does He love? What does God love? God loves peacemakers. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. God hates troublemakers, but he loves peacemakers. He wants people who aren't troublemakers, but grace makers. Who aren't busy bodies, but hardworking bodies. Who aren't liars or gossips, but open and honest and tell the truth. Who aren't con artists, but artists of beauty. Who aren't bullies, but show compassion and mercy. Who aren't troublemakers, but peacemakers. These are the kind of people that God loves. God hates troublemakers, but loves peacemakers. Now, verses 16 through 19 are a poem. They're a poem. I kind of say like six, no, seven things. This is kind of like a, a, a structured poem. And it, it's it's sort of structured that way to to highlight really what comes at the end. But it's like this beautiful little poem. And, and and notice what it begins with. It says, it says these are these are six things the Lord hates. Seven things that are detestable to Him. Lord is co- uh, is God's covenant name here. It's it's the name Yahweh. It's His special name by which the people of Israel, God's people, could relate to Him. And so it's telling us the heart of God. What does God hate? What does Yahweh hate, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. But even as we read this, uh, so often we in our context, we, we choose different verses, different passages to read, but as we read this we're supposed to remember kind of some of the other passages that we have encountered in the book of Proverbs. Maybe some of you remember an early in Proverbs where we talked about the body and the body was using, used as a metaphor or an illustration for ways that God can be at work and that we can focus on the Lord in, in his commands and his word. And so we go back to chapter four of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So what does God love? Well, God loves those who want to see his face. God loves those who speak truth. God loves caring, and kind hands. God loves the heart that loves God and neighbor. God loves those who want to walk the path of wisdom. God loves an honest witness. God loves a peacemaker. Do you think God loves you? Do you think he loves me? I think he does, but not because I measure up to this list. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it's a lot easier for me to point out the, the similarities between myself and Proverbs chapter 6 than it is myself in Proverbs chapter 4. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, yeah, I can look a little bit more like chapter 6 than chapter 4. But that's because God wants to show us his grace. <laughs> he wants to show us how much he loves us. He knows that we don't measure up this way. He knows that we don't measure up when it comes to laziness, when it comes to, to, to loans. He knows we don't measure up. And that's why he sent his son, the perfect son. Because this son in Proverbs isn't perfect. Neither are we as sons and daughters. He sent his perfect son. The father sent his son to be the peacemaker. To show us his love and his compassion. To show us his face and his kind and and caring hands and his heart. And And he did that through uh, the shedding of the Son's blood on, his, on the cross. And what does Christ do? Christ, through his blood, transforms troublemakers into peacemakers. I think there's a little bit of a theme tonight. Christ transforms people that walk on the way of the fool, like the, the way of foolishness. He transforms them into people that walk in the way of wisdom. The gospel, is the, tr- is the, uh, the good news, the gospel, is that troublemakers like you and me, (laughs) can have a relationship with God because he has won peace with us through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the great peacemaker. And he invites us, just like we were invited to the table tonight by Bernie, he invites us to come and repent and believe in him and by his grace be transformed from troublemakers into peacemakers. And it doesn't happen overnight. Happens over the course of a lifetime. Christ transforms troublemakers into peacemakers. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Proverbs. It can feel a little disjointed, but you know exactly what we need to hear. So I pray that something will resonate with each one of us tonight from your word, that you will speak to each one of us. Uh, and they will take it home and and. and First, start with a greater love for you, and then see how we might need to apply it to our lives. Lord, uh, would you bless this church body, bless my church family. Uh, Would you bless this offering? Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.